Deny is the second point of the active shooter triangle. We talked about escape yesterday. We'll talk about defending ourselves and attacking back tomorrow. But today we're going to talk about deny. Welcome to Coffee with Alan, part two of a three-part series I'm doing this week on active shooter or active threat or active killer response prompted by the shooting at Michigan State on Monday because these killings just keep continuing. As I said yesterday, it's not a new problem, but it's definitely a problem that has been increasing over the last couple decades, and it's only prudent for us to understand and know what we can do to be better survivors and help those we care about be survivors. Deny is the second point, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Good morning, Jay. Appreciate you being here. Denying access to a killer is a strategy that can keep you alive. You can do this by locking doors, by barricading yourself in, keeping him out. You can do this by picking up a chair and holding it between you and a knife-wielding killer. You can deny access by getting behind cover, something that's bulletproof. Anything you can do that will prevent a killer from harming you goes into that deny category. Good morning, Robin. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for saying hello. So there are different ways that we can deny access, and it is a proven strategy to save lives, especially in places like schools or hospitals. You have large places, lots of rooms, and you may have individuals that will be more difficult to do the escape strategy. You have very little children. You have patients, people that are immobile. Maybe escaping is not the best strategy in those situations. And if you can lock down and deny a killer access to those people, you can save lives. Now think about this. If something starts at one area of a school, all of the other classrooms have time to lock down and put up a perimeter, a barricade, effective locks to keep that killer out. So the majority of the school can be safe while that violence is going on in that one area. Now, in that one area, they're going to have to do something different. They're going to have to escape or attack back and take that person out. But a large portion of that building or that facility can lock down, use the deny principle, and keep people safe. To do this, we need to have effective locks and doors and lockdown mechanisms. And that includes the communication to let people know what's going on so they can take those steps. I was at a school one time and they had an old PA system. That's how they communicated with the classrooms. The PA system had a code that you had to enter. Nobody at the school that day knew the code. The person who knew the code wasn't at the training. That's unacceptable. You need to be able to communicate with the rest of the building. Those are the effective communication systems. And the violence might start in the back. So that person in the back needs to be able to communicate with everybody else as well. You can't just have one person that communicates with the entire place because the violence may not start there. So there are systems available. There are a variety of them, different companies, different prices. Some of them get fairly expensive, but they can communicate with everyone. And the best one ones have a looping recording. So you have different recordings. So you only have to push that recording and it tells people what to do. So an individual 
who is scared and under stress doesn't have to give the instructions over the system. So those are out there. And if you are part of a school system or a hospital system or a business with multiple offices and such, it would behoove you to look into these of how you can communicate with everybody in the building if an emergency happens to give them instructions to help keep them safe. So a communication system goes along with the deny aspect of active threat response. Then we want to have effective means of locking those doors down. Do you know in the Sandy Hook lawsuit, which happened after that tragic massacre, one of the elements in that lawsuit against the school is because teachers had to go out in the hall and use their key in the outside of the door to lock that door and then go back in the room and pull it shut. So could you imagine if there's shooting and stuff going on in the hall, you're expected to go out in the hall to lock the door from the outside and then go back in and pull it shut? We need better ways of securing those doors and locking down. Now, I have taught teachers in those exact same type of classroom situations and those same kind of doors where they have to go out in the hall to lock the door. What I tell them is to be safe, you can have that door already locked. So you have to do is go up and pull it shut. The problem with that is if the wind blows it shut or somebody closes it, then the teacher has to get up and go unlock it and open it again. And that's inconvenient. Sadly, a lot of the things that are put in place to keep us safe, mechanisms, procedures, are not convenient. So sometimes we have to have a little inconvenience to be more safe. A great example of this, I was doing a security policy for a big power company in the Midwest a number of years ago. And in that policy, I wrote that everybody should swipe their card when they're going in and swipe their card when they're going out. I put that in the policy because they had purchased this equipment and this system. So when people would swipe their card in and out, they knew at all times who was in the facility and who wasn't. The problem, assessing their actual daily practices, John was swiping his card and 10 people were going in with him. Mary swiped her card and 10 people went out with her. They had no clue who was in and out. And when I said they needed to enforce this policy of everybody swiping their card, I had middle managers, you know, middle level managers argue with me and say, you don't expect everyone to swipe their card. I said, I do if you want all of this equipment that you spent a lot of money on to do its job. Otherwise, you wasted all your money buying this because you have no clue who's in or out. So sometimes the procedures and policies and things we put in place for safety, they're not the most convenient, but we need to do those. We need to lock our doors. Burglars go in to unlock doors and unlock windows all the time. You know, we have the locks, we're just not using them. We need to have the procedures. We need to have the effective way to lock things down. Mark says, now hospitals, other large buildings have fire doors that can be barricaded, denying large areas to the shooters. Once barricades, other options can be explored. Secondary barricades work on escaping or gathering. Exactly. And we're going to get to that in a minute, Mark. But, you know, you brought that up that once we've locked the door or barricaded, we don't just stop. Richard says, great point about convenience. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate the comment. So Mark, Mark brought up a, a good point that once we've locked the door, once we've barricaded, we think we're secure, we don't just quit. We don't just go get under the desks and hide in hope. Hiding and hoping is not a plan for success. And that's why I don't like the hide word in run, hide, fight. Yes, hiding can be a way to deny access. 
If he doesn't see you or hear you, he may go on looking for other killers and it could keep you safe. But I rather have a proactive word and that's why I like deny that we are doing things to deny that person access. And once we've locked the door, once we've barricaded, look for an extra exit. Can we escape now? If we've barricaded and we've locked him out and denied him, now is there a way to go to another strategy, which is escape? Maybe out a window, a different door. And if it's safe, maybe we do that. Or we stack by the door and we're prepared to attack back if the lock is breached. We're not going to be under the desk if he breaks in where we're a sitting target. We're going to be right by the door where if he gets through that barricaded or locked door, we're going to attack him from an ambush and take him out. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. But we're always thinking and trying to better our position and do what we can to keep ourselves and others safe. Jay said, would slow work as well? I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that, Jay. If you want to clarify that, I'll try to answer. So other ways to barricade. Guy with a blade. I said, you have a knife. A guy with a knife, you have a chair. That's an effective way to deny access. Why go hand to hand with a knife? with your bare hands, if you can have a chair and deny that person access of cutting you. And then you throw that chair, you know, legs first right into the guy's face. Or while you're doing that, your your partner zaps him with reflex protect or pepper spray or a fire extinguisher, stuff we're going to talk about tomorrow. But how can we deny that person access? We need to know the difference between cover and concealment. Cover stops bullets, and that will deny that person ability to hurt or kill you. If it's just concealment, bullets can go through it. So we need to be careful. It's not as safe, and it's not really denying as effectively as cover. And some of the walls and things that our buildings are built out of these days, they're not bulletproof. You go up and you see this pillar, and you think, oh, that's a big pillar, and you tap on it, and it's hollow, and it's it's fake. When you're in your buildings, check what kind of walls do they have? I mean, are they solid? Are these things bulletproof? Or are they just cosmetic and bullets would go through them? Mark says, doing security at a hospital, I was having issues with some nurses over locked doors, door alarms. A baby was kidnapped. The person used the same doors that I had issues with. Many hospital administrators got fired. That's exactly true, Mark. And just look at the Ilvaldi. The door was left open. It was supposed to have been locked. So many times we leave things open, unlocked, etc., for convenience. And criminals look for things that are easy and they use those. So many cars or things out of cars have been stolen because somebody was going in just for a second and going to be right back out. And they were right back out and something was gone. Either the entire car because they left it running with the keys in it or some valuables that were left on a seat and the door was open. That happens all the time because we want convenience sometimes over security and safety. Jeff says very few things are not really bulletproof. You know, that's there's so many things out there that, you know, they you think they might be bulletproof and they're not. You know, a good solid brick wall, something, you know, that's going to be bulletproof is what we want to try to use if we can. Killing the power to the door. And that that depends on the kind of doors and such that they have, Jay. So it really depends on what kind of locking mechanisms you have. You know, they do have like the hydraulic type of doors, you know, have those bars up top. There are commercial made things that you can slide over those. Sadly, that doors are so different that those commercial made ones, they don't fit all doors. You know, in my book, I got a picture of, you know, you know, if you got like a nylon type belt or something, you can wrap around those and secure it. Because if the hydraulic thing doesn't open, the door doesn't open far. 
So those are ways for those doors. Regular little door stops can work. You know, when you have open outdoors, you know, a door stop and some of the things won't work as well, but there are different ways you can put something around the handle and secure it beside the door, whether it's makeshift or I've had places actually put these in place. You put an eye bolt beside the door and you have a little cable that you hook over the handle with a carabiner that fits in the eye bolt and that open outdoor won't open anymore. The problem with some of these is fire codes and fire marshals say, you can't do that. Well, no, you can't do that in regular business, but in an emergency with an active killer, you can do it. You just have to be have some common sense for some of that. And Jay says to buy time. Anything we can do to buy time to get people to safety can be an effective strategy. Again, there are no cookie cutter absolute answers because these killings happen in all sorts of locations. And so we don't really know what kind of location we're going to be in when this happens. Are we going to be in the supermarket? Are we going to be in Walmart? Are we going to be at church? We're going to be at the mall. We're going to be at the airport. We're going to be at the restaurant. We're going to be at the bar. We're going to be at the college. We're going to be at the school. All of these places have had these killings and all of these places have different type of doors, different types of locks, different construction, which may be bulletproof or not, different things that we can use for improvised weapons, different things that we can use to help lock ourselves down and deny the killer. So we just have to have a general plan and be aware of these kind of things and do the absolute best we can in the situation while we're under stress and while we're scared. And that's why we want to think about it right now while I'm talking about it right now and be thinking about it because under extreme stress, you're not going to be able to think about things like we can right now when we're not under stress. And we want to have that plan to go to. Jeff says, most mass shootings take place in gun-free areas. Yeah, Jeff, and I'm not going to get into the political stuff of it, so I don't really want to get into political stuff. You know, it is what it is, okay? Thank you. And again, I am pro-gun. I own guns, but I don't get into the gun debate thing because my job here is to keep people alive, and, and that's what I'm doing. And I teach people in schools, in hospitals, in businesses where they're not allowed to have guns, and so I give them the best strategies possible for the situations they're in. And that's what I try to do. So we're going to have a plan and we're going to be aware of ways that we can deny somebody access if we had to. And that's a strategy to keep people alive. Most, uh, Mark says, most hollow columns are built to cover up support columns. They're steel, but relatively small, more drywall than protection. Exactly. They might have something in there, but the majority of it, you know, you think you're hiding behind this big column that can protect you and you, it's not. And Jay says to be aware. That's the number one thing, Jay. We all want to be aware at all times and just enjoy life safely. Being aware is not being paranoid because it allows us to see the good things out there as well. And that's always what I want to do. I want to see all the good things, but you'll recognize the potential danger earlier, give you time to keep you and your loved ones safe. We went a little bit long today. I really appreciate all the comments and the interaction. That's what I want this show to be. I hope we get more of it. Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about defending ourselves and attacking back in some of these situations. If you want a whole lot more information on it, you know, pick up Survive a Shooting. You know, it's a big, giant textbook on the topic that has everything we talked about today and a whole lot more in there to help keep you and your loved ones safe. We'll catch everybody tomorrow. Have a fantastic day.